Thank you. So, um, yeah, uh, for those who don't know me, uh, Pastor Mike, I'm a uh, pastor in the ex-churches, and um, Pastor Dre is my senior pastor and also my son-in-law. So in this environment, I do what he tells me, but um, when it's in the home environment, he may do what I tell him. It's a kind of a negotiating thing, and it's almost like, if he's nice to me in his role, I'll be nice to him in his role. Not that there's an overlap at all. There's no conflict of interest, but um, sometimes I get to be dad-in-law, so, uh, and he gets to be my senior pastor, so it's an interesting arrangement. Hey, um, with technology and stuff, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, as John chapter 1. And um, what that also means is that um, for many, many years, people who preached the gospel didn't have PowerPoint. It also means they didn't have flannel graphs. It also means they probably didn't have flip charts, and they certainly didn't have uh, marker pens for writing and highlighting points and things. If they were lucky, they had a Bible, and they had access to the Scriptures. So um, for a long time, that's how the gospel was shared. Like at least the last 2,000 years, the primary means of communication has been someone talking or teaching and creating word pictures, not real pictures, and you had to kind of fill in the gaps. So it's really cool that we're back to that today because um, when I got up this morning to do a final check of my notes and I thought, oh, I'm just going to put this here and put this there and I deleted oh, probably 80% of the notes about what I wanted to talk about and they wouldn't come back and that was cool. <laughs> but uh, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good and I thought, you know, you haven't let me down so you won't let me down today. So it's like, I am not worried about it. Then I got to church and um, spoke to our techies and stuff and gave them my flash drive with a PowerPoint on it so you could have all of the scriptures and then you could have some neat pictures that I found to illustrate the sermon so you don't have to think for yourselves. You can just sit there and kind of suck it all in. And that wouldn't work either. So our techie said, I will race home with your flash drive and I've got other computers and things at home and I'll try and figure something out and I'll try and be back by 10 o'clock. So he did marvellously, and he got back by 10 o'clock, didn't work. Got your slide templates come up, but no pictures, just empty spaces. So, okay, we don't need that. Well, could you go on YouTube, please? And um, the clip I wanted to show you um, about the passage I'm going to speak from today, um, at least they can kind of get that. And, he's, and he initially said to me, okay. And then I checked during the five-minute greeting thing, I think it was, and he said, we're not having any luck. And I thought, fine, let's ditch the YouTube clip as well. So you're really going to have to use your imagination. But now I see a thumbs up. So we have a YouTube clip. So <laughs> I know I'm excited, and it's not because I've had four coffees. Some people say that coffee actually kind of is like um, an artificial stimulant. But for me, it's an aid to anointing. We call coffee preacher's petrol, right? And I've had four this morning, so I thought... I don't know if it's the comfort of God or whether it's the anointing of coffee, but I'm thinking, I don't care if the technology has failed. I'll just be me and we'll see what God does. But we do have a thumbs up, which is really cool. So um, what would be nice is, God willing, we'll show the video clip first and then I'll read the scriptures because I still have them on my phone, funnily enough. My whole Bible didn't delete. So um, the passage I'm going to speak from is John chapter 5. 
Um, Pastor Dre asked if four of us would give four scenarios of then Jesus said from the Gospels. I know a couple of the other guys are choosing passages from John, so I thought, well, I'm not going to choose the passage from John. I'm going to take one of the other Gospels to be different. But wouldn't you know it, a passage from John just kept kind of whamming back at me like this. And in the end, it's like, okay, we're going to do probably four on the Gospel of John. But um, so John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, and the story is about the healing of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, if you're familiar with the story. Um, Ed, I presume you've got a, in faith, a YouTube clip. Why don't you do that first, and then I'll take some of my still existing notes and I'll read the scriptures to you as well. Is that okay? And that's how we'll kickstart this morning. Good stuff. Give it a crack, Ed. Let's see what happens. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need
Like he said, don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. Isn't that a great picture? So that's from the chosen. Um, series of movies. If you haven't seen them, they are easily accessible. And Chosen is a modern production, and they do add some, shall we say, some, some words, some phrases, some expressions, and some emotions that you don't get from the text of the story. Now, that doesn't mean that it's unbiblical. It's non-biblical. In other words, some of the feelings and impressions and the little to's and fro's aren't in the scriptures, but it kind of humanizes it and it captures a part of our heart to the bigger truth. So if there's a few little things, the interactions between Jesus and the paralyzed man, that you think, I don't recall that in the story. No, it's not recorded. But who knows that just because something isn't recorded doesn't mean it didn't happen. <laughs> but it fills in the gaps. But don't take the whole thing as literal interaction, but it captures just the heart of it. Um, and so I thought it was really good to kind of start with that. Thank you for figuring that out, guys. Um, it makes my job a lot easier. So the passage of Scripture, um, and I'd like to read it now, and I, I hope that, um, in a sense, you're revisiting what you've just seen. And it's called The Healing at the Pool in John chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. It's, um, and here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years was an old man in the Middle East 2,000 um, years ago. That was an old man, so he'd spent most of his life paralyzed, and presumably a good portion of it, on the steps of this pool, waiting and hoping for his opportunity. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Doesn't that seem like a crazy question? And why did Jesus go to that guy? There must have been dozens or hundreds of people in similar situations who also were at that pool of Bethesda. But it seems like Jesus found this one guy targeted him and he asked him a really obvious question do you want to get well if I was that paralyzed guy I would have been quite angry or perhaps sarcastic and I do wonder about some of that because the invalid replied in verse 7 I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in someone else goes down ahead of me 
Now, when the water was stirred, now tradition says that an angel of the Lord came down from time to time and stirred the pool, and the first person who got in the pool after the water was disturbed received a miraculous healing. Um, tradition says that, whether it's actually the case or just the tradition was, um, scholars aren't really sure. We don't literally know that God would send an angel from time to time to stir up the water, although tradition says, yeah, that's kind of what it was. But suffice to say, here's this guy, he's been there 38 years and he's had no luck whatsoever. And he moans when Jesus said, do you want to be healed? The guy basically just complains and says, well, how can I? And he's feeling pretty sorry for himself. If you were stuck there on the edge of the pool for 38 years and whenever the water was stirred, someone else got in before you, particularly if there were some healings, it'd be hard to keep your attitude, right? And Jesus didn't say, let me pray for you. I'm just going to lay hands on you. I'm going to anoint you with mud or water or something like that. And if you call me Lord and Savior, then let's see what I can do. He said, none of that. He said, do you want to be well? And the guy says, well, I haven't got a show. And Jesus simply said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. That was the transaction. And the day this took place was on a Sabbath. And the Jewish leader said to the man who was healed, it is the Sabbath and the law forbids you. The law forbids you from picking up your mat and walking. And they said, who is this guy? Who's this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? And in verse 13, the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So it seems like Jesus was going to go to some celebration, some Jewish celebration. He went to the pool. He targeted this guy. He didn't even say, I heal you in my name. He just said, do you want to be well? And the guy complained. Jesus didn't give him a whole lot of counseling and everything else. But from what I picked up from the film clip, it seems like Jesus just listened and just engaged and let the guy vent his spleen a little bit. And obviously Jesus just said, you know what? Okay, that's enough. And later... After Jesus had slipped away, verse 14, it says, Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. There's no indication in that passage of Scripture, there's no indication that he accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour. There's no indication that he said, I will follow you for the rest of my life. I'm committed to you. There's very little indication of what happened. Then Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. That was the issue. Jesus just wanted to extend some grace and some mercy towards this man. Did you know that the um, word Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda, um, in the Hebrew and the Aramaic, it means a place of grace or a place of mercy. And it seems to me that there wasn't a lot of grace and mercy in abundance because that guy had been there for 38 years. 
and he was waiting and he was hoping, this vague hope that this pool of water would be stirred somehow, whether it's supernatural or natural, who knows, but he was hoping that it would be stirred and that he could get into the pool first and receive a healing. And after 38 years, he was a little bit despondent, as would be you and I. The interesting thing is that Jesus goes and faces him, and this is John chapter 5, don't forget. Um, Pastor Lyndon is going to pick on John chapter 4. That's his favorite passage in the Bible. And um, it's the story about the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus said to her, I have water that you know nothing of. It's better than well water. I have living water and you'll never thirst again. So here's Jesus, the living water, and he's literally standing in front of this man at the pool of Bethesda. And he's really saying, you think that water can do something for you? You think that pool can do something for you? You're waiting here and hope that getting into this pool, even if you could, is going to do something for you. Wake up because I am the living water and I'm standing right in front of your face. Don't put your faith in that pool or tradition or history or other people's healings and experiences because that's about them. Hasn't been that amazing, hasn't been that successful, but that's their story. Your story is the living water that never runs out is standing face to face in front of you, getting between you and the pool and saying, do you want to be well? And I think sometimes we have this and this is part of the notes I've deleted, but you know, one of the things about going over and over your notes, for those that are preachers or budding preachers, is that the parts that are really important, if you've done the homework, you can trust that God brings it back to you, whether the PowerPoints and things collapse or not. But the beautiful thing is that here's this man, he's looking for a healing, he's putting all of his hope such as he has left after 38 years, into this pool that tradition said, if you see the water store and you're first in, you'll get healed. And now the living water is standing in front of him, just basically saying, do you want to be well? You know, we've got these cages and these mindsets that has come from past experiences or understanding, good, bad, or indifferent teaching or examples or testimonies or whatever it is, we have these cages in our mind that locks us into this is how it must happen. If I am going to get a healing or something is you know, going to change for me, it has to happen like this because of what I understand from Scripture, or it has to happen by getting prayed for this particular anointed person because I know my friend got prayed for them and they were miraculously, or I have to do this, or I have to do that, or I have to follow this, and this is how God works, and this is my experience, and this is their testimony. And we lock ourselves into this kind of cage of thinking where if it doesn't happen like this, it's not going to happen. If the man could not get into the pool of Bethesda, he was never going to get a healing. That was his mindset. And it was promoted by tradition and other people. And perhaps he'd seen people healed miraculously. I don't see any records anywhere else that people were miraculously healed. But tradition said they were from time to time when the angel stirred the water. But here's the living water standing right in front of him and saying, do you want to be healed? And instead of the guy saying, man, do I ever, he's like, well, I've been here for 38 years and, and I can't and nobody helps me. You know, and he's locked into this mindset, this is the only way out. 
And Jesus is saying, you know what? We need to open our minds to the possibilities that God is going to do it different for you. God is going to set you free in a different way. God is going to say, you're looking in the wrong direction. And as the living water, I need to get between you and this pool and take your eyes off the pool for a minute and look at me. And how often do we say, oh, well, you know, my friend Manny, he had a testimony and it was like this and that. And then this person come along to minister at the church. And man, wherever that guy's ministering, I'm going to that church and get him to pray for me because that's the best chance I have of getting healed. Well, it's okay. And sometimes you'll pull it off. But sometimes you lock yourself and your mind into this kind of thing that is the basis of your understanding or your personal experiences or secondhand testimonies from someone else. You think, that's how God is going to speak to me. Whether it's physical healing, whether it's mental, emotional, spiritual health, whether it's a financial situation, whether it's a career situation, whether it's problems in your family, whether it's problems with your kids, whether you've had a major falling out with your best friend or whatever it is, it's very easy for us to think, I know how this works. I know what caused it, and I know what's needed to fix it. And sometimes, just sometimes, Jesus goes through the crowds at the pool of Bethesda, and for whatever reason, he targets this guy. And there's no lead-up, there's no build-up, there's no four-step program or 12-step AA program or something you have to follow through in the hope of result. It's just like, what do you want? And the guy belly aches and doesn't actually really answer the question, does he, if you remember that clip on the movie? What do you want? Do you want to be healed? Oh, well, I've got this problem and that. No, I've been, you know. Why didn't you just say, yeah? And Jesus would have said, same thing. But the beautiful thing about Jesus, and I think it's, this is the part that really spoke to me and affected me personally many, many years ago. Um, and it fits into this Then Jesus Said series. The thing that really spoke to me about it was that Jesus knew right from the start what he was going to do. He knew who he was going to target. He knew what the results was going to be and the repercussions. He knew all of that. But then he came and he spoke to the guy, but he engaged with him. He listened to him and he let the guy moan and blather and carry on a little bit. And then he says, okay, enough of that now. Um, just take your mat and go home. The interesting thing is, I wonder how often we have this kind of preset thing in our minds about what's going to happen. And Jesus is standing right in front of us, between us and the situation, or between us and the problem. And he just wants to let us talk. I mean, Jesus was the perfect counselor in that before he was the perfect healer. He just let the guy talk. And let the guy moan and blather. He could have said, no, I don't want to hear any of that. I just, No, he let him engage. And the thing that spoke to me about this many years ago is Jesus is right here with you. And he's willing to sit and engage with you and let you tell your story from your perspective. You don't have to pretend like you've got to be someone else or you've got to have this holy thing or you've got to remind Jesus of what the scriptures said and force him to do something. No, no, no. Jesus wants to stand in front of you and just let you kind of let it all out. The good and the bad and the ugly, let it all out. And, you know, if there's some blankety blank blanks in there, I think Jesus has heard them before. But there will come a place where you've let all that out 
and everything will go still. And it will go silent. And your heartbeat will start to slow down. Your mind will start to focus on who's standing right in front of you. And he may not say at that stage, what do you want me to do for you? He may just say, pick up your bed and walk. Interesting thing about that passage of scripture as well is that then the guy picks up his thing and starts to walk and the religious leaders and the Pharisees are so offended. One, because it's a Sabbath and this guy's doing work on the Sabbath, which good Jews were never allowed to do and picking up your bed and walking off no 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 you should leave it there and maybe you shouldn't even walk more than a few hundred meters from your home did the guy have a home yeah probably on that bed on the pools of Bethesda for 38 years he was a homeless person most likely so it probably created a bit of a dilemma for the guy actually Jesus said pick up your bed and walk and he did but he must have thought where am I going to walk to (laughs) I haven't got a house (laughs) you know I'm just walking around with my bed on my shoulder but the Pharisees whatever way They were offended that he had broken the law. In spite of the fact the Pharisees have seen a miracle happen pretty much in front of their faces as well. And the odd thing about the story is that the Pharisees said, who is this guy that, you know, blankly, blank, blank, healed you and caused you to break the law on the Sabbath and everything else? And the guy says, oh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know who he was. He just said, take up your bed and walk. And so here I am. I'm off. Isn't that a strange reaction from that guy? Did he not hear what the crowd was saying about Jesus when he came to Bethesda? Did he not listen? Did he not care? Or was he so caught up in his own thing that he couldn't see any further than that? Did Jesus know when Jesus spoke to him and let him engage and let him bellyache about things? Did Jesus know this guy is not in the headspace to do any more than this? So I'm just going to heal him. Because later on, when the Sabbath was over, and I think it was the next day or a couple of days, I can't remember now exactly what it says, but Jesus finds the guy hanging out. And he says, hey, good to see you well, mate. You're looking great. Hey, um, just a reminder, don't go and sin anymore in case something even kind of worse happens to you. Does that sound like a threat? If you do something else, you might lose your healing or you might be even worse. I don't think Jesus threatens people. But he does warn them of stupid behavior. (laughs) And maybe your life needs to be re-examined. Don't just take the healing, but re-examine what is the purpose of my life now? Where am I or who am I going forward from here? The interesting thing in part of that is that then the guy finds out, well, it's Jesus. That's who they're saying, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. It looks like he goes and dobs them into the Pharisees. He says, oh, you want to know that guy's name? It says in the scriptures towards the end of um, verse 14, 15, you want to know his name? Yeah, yeah, it's Jesus. That just gives the Pharisees more ammunition against Jesus. And we know that the repercussions of that happen further down the track. Did that guy get, shall we say, converted or saved? No clue. Is that a prerequisite? Is that the only reason Jesus would speak to someone or heal someone is so that they now belong to him? No. Grace and mercy goes further than that. And it says, if you have a need, 
and you look to me, I'm willing to meet that need almost irrespective of what happens afterwards because you've got a need now. Of course I want you to be one of my sheep, but you've got a need now. And there's that wonderful freedom in that. And I think sometimes what Jesus has said and how he dealt with this guy is a really good model for us in ministry. Whether you're in a workplace or a university environment or a school environment, wherever you are, is to think, just take the time to engage with people and let them talk with you. And now and again, God may say through you, take up your bed and walk. No, you don't have to join my church. You'd be very welcome. No, you don't have to pray the sinner's prayer, but it'd be awesome if you did. But let's just face to face with people. Let's get between their difficulties and them and be the presence of God in their lives and help them to see there is living water and it delivers much better than the pool. Does that make sense? So finally, and this is finally, it would have been longer if I'd had PowerPoint. So see, this is a bonus, right? And if I hadn't deleted some of my notes. Finally, then Jesus said, then Jesus said, and what Jesus said was, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? In other words, he's saying, what can I do for you? What is your greatest felt need? Now, when Jesus said later on in that passage, go and sin no more, the word sin or sinning can equally be translated abuse or abusing. And sin is a little bit of an archaic word. We've had the sin burn in the, in the rugby games for a while, so we kind of know it. But it can be translated really well as abuse. Go and abuse yourself no more. Go and abuse others no more. Do not get into an abusive pattern or an abusive lifestyle, whether it's to yourself or to other people. Does that imply that that guy's paralysis was self-inflicted? Who knows? But Jesus is saying, go and sin no more. Go and abuse no more, whether it's others or yourself. In other words, be reflective. <laughs> you've seen me. You've received a miracle. Now go and reflect on what is your life for? What are you doing? And more importantly, how are you treating other people? I want to finish with... Um, I've got a couple of notes here, but I'm not going to use them, so I'm just kind of thinking. I want to finish with making an opportunity. Um, at the end of this service, we can have the music team come up. That would be awesome if you've got a, a closing um, piece of music for us. And I'd like to give people the opportunity to recognize that there are things you've been looking for and waiting for God or believing for for a long time. Maybe not 38 years, but it feels like 38 years. And there is a possibility for all of us that you've got this kind of cage or this gate or this prison in your mind about how this is going to happen. You've got some romantic idea or nostalgic idea about how this will happen if it's going to happen at all. Sometimes that needs to be busted wide open and just get to the point where you say, you know what, I'm going to let that go. God, if you want to do something about this situation, you can do it any which way you want, and I just want to be compliant. All I want to do is just pick up my bed and walk. Because sometimes when we lock ourselves in, we think the pool of Siloam is the only way I've got any chance of getting what I need from God. And it can lock us in to... The truth of the living water is looking us right in the face, but we're still trying to look at the pole. 
If anyone would like to respond to that, it's, it's not a big deal, but if there are cages in your thinking or your mind or your experience and you're thinking, wow, maybe that's what I have done or am doing, um, there's an opportunity. There's pastoral staff here. There's, there's leadership here. We'll be happy to pray with you. Not going to do a big open heart surgery or anything like that, but if you would just like the cage door to be busted open to the possibilities that Jesus may stand between you and the thing you hope for and show you a better way, you can come up the front. As the music starts to play, we're just kind of hanging around here and you can come up the front and do a leadership here. We'll be happy to pray a simple prayer that those gates, those locks, those cages will be busted open and maybe Jesus has better solutions than the pool of Siloam. God bless you.